In the 1980s, Purdue Pharma launched what it touted as a miracle painkiller. Oxycontin was marketed worldwide as the solution to all chronic pain. And for a while it seemed to work until the hidden addictive properties started to come out and suddenly we were faced with a opioid crisis that engulfed the world. And that's what we're gonna dig into on today's episode of Thought Crime. Hey everyone, Tracy here. On this episode, I did make a mistake and comment saying that 150,000 people a day die from the opioid crisis. That was based on a World Health Organization study that kind of counted deaths worldwide from all drug-related accidents such as auto and and what have you, not just straight up overdoses. So I apologize if I didn't make that clear. I just wanted to put that out there for you. Thank you so much. Now let's get into it. Hey everyone, imagine if you will a company profiting $35 billion while costing taxpayers hundreds of millions. Imagine if you will a company that causes the deaths of approximately 50,000 people per day as well as the addiction of another 20,000 people per day. Imagine if you will a company that gives generously to politicians, pharmacists, and doctors to continue the propagation of their deadly product. Imagine, if you will, the Sackler family, Purdue Pharma, White Collar Crime Wednesday, and the opioid crisis people. Let's do it. Hey everyone, the opioid crisis. Let's get into it. First of all, what are opioids? Opioids are basically a class of drug, usually a Schedule I narcotic that acts on the opioid sensors in our mind, in our brain. These sensors control things like pleasure, pain, emotions and feelings that we feel throughout our body. Opioids are drugs that enact and change those receptors to feel other things. So opioids can cause the blockage of pain, which was their main intended use. They can also make you feel high because you have elated feelings of happiness and contentment. So that's the reason they are considered a highly addictive drugs because they enact on our very sense of feeling within the brains. Now we've always had these drugs around as far back as when poppies were grown you know, in the Middle Ages and and used to control pain and induce pleasure. So we've always had these types of drugs around, but what we know is the modern opioid opioid crisis started in 1990, as far as the major onslaught of it. However, the roots of it go back much further into the 1950s. You had uh, Isaac Sackler and his wife, Sophie, who were Jewish immigrants from, from Ukraine and Poland. Uh, They had three sons, Arthur, Mortimer, and Raymond Sackler, who all grew up to be psychiatrists. And they took a great deal of interest in the biochemical processes and origins of mental illness. So they began to write and publish over a hundred articles citing brain chemistry as one of the main causes of mental illness. Now we do know that to be true 
and because of their interest in this, the boys in 1956 purchased a fledgling pharmaceutical company by the name of Pharma Fredrickson, changing the name to just Purdue. Um, in the meantime, Arthur who, Arthur, who would emerge from this as the main PR and propaganda, and yes, very much propaganda specialist for Purdue, began to coin a term called psychic tension, which mainly explains lots of different feelings that somebody could could feel and could cause a lot of different issues. So mainly, if it was an undiagnosed reason why you had headaches, if it was an undiagnosed reason why you had stomach ache, if it was an undiagnosed reason why you were always anxious or depressed, then you had psychic tension, according to Arthur. And all of their articles, still while connected to Purdue Frederick, actually, they were pushing this idea of psychic tension. And let me tell you how much this started to resonate with people, especially in the 1950s. In the 1950s, a lot of women, particularly housewives, because this was the golden age of Ozzie and Harriet, were being, older women, especially in their late 30s, early 40s, were starting to be diagnosed with a condition called mania. And this psychic tension kind of fed into that. Mania was just kind of off your nut temporarily. And so, what people realized is that an orgasm, that's the only way I can say that without being being too vulgar, would relieve mania. I think we all know that that, would, that centers most of us. So women would actually go to the doctor in the 50s and a staff member would actually manually cause an orgasm. I'll leave it at that. And that led to the invention of an automatic orgasm machine which later on became our modern day sex toys so that's an interesting tidbit that i think uh, no very few people know about but valium which uh the sacklers took a huge interest in because uh purdue frederick did manufacture some valium began a cure-all for all of this stuff mania in addition to the the o factor women were prescribed uh, valium for mania and valium began being prescribed for a lot of ailments other than it's what it was rated for, anxiety. So the psychic tension became the phantom diagnosis for a lot of different things and Valium became the cure for it. In fact, Arthur Sackler was one of the few that actually took out full color ads for psychic tension, choose Valium kind of stuff and it literally kind of began a Valium revolution in the 1950s, which later on trickled into the 60s and the 70s with the quaaludes and things like that. So we've always had an appetite for these drugs that can alter feelings and alter moods, but it only got bad in the 80s and 90s. So let's jump into that. In addition to making Valium a cure-all, the Sacklers began donating heavily to many political campaigns. They began being huge philanthropists in that they would donate to many charitable institutions. There are Sackler wings in many great museums around the world. So these were people that America listened to and trusted, at least the people at the top echelons, which of course, you know, trickles down to the rest of us. But in the 1980s, they acquired research and a patent for a new type of medicine called MS cotton. Now MS cotton was designated for pain management, usually with 
cancer patients because it was morphine-based. Morphine, which had been known to cause highly addictive attributes in the Vietnam War when it was used in the field for soldiers, was now being mass-produced in this medicine by Purdue. And in the 1980s, the hospice industry began to rise up. Hospice is basically end-of-life care. People that have uh, terminal illnesses, they go into hospice care when they're near the end. And so MS Cotton became the drug of choice for treating and managing cancer pain. It would help them literally just rest. And so because they were in hospice, they didn't really worry about addiction so much because they would die before they became addicted. I mean, that sounds kind of cruel, but it, it was the name of the game. And so MS Cotton became Purdue, and now that Valium was kind of waning out of favor, MS Cotton became their new cash cow. And they started to produce articles, mostly by author's nephew Raymond's son Richard, who later became president in 1999. But before he became president, he was a researcher, and he more researched for the dollar than for the actual science. So he began producing articles and journals saying that the addiction rate for MS Cotton was less than 1%, which was cited over 600 times in different medical journals until they realized it was total bullshit. But that allowed Purdue to pave the way for wide-scale release of MS Cotton, and it began being prescribed for pain and psychic tension, just like Valium was. So you had a nation that was beginning to get addicted to opioids as early as the 1980s, all thanks to MS Cotton and Purdue. However, in the early 1990s, they were nearing the end of their patent. And what that means is when a drug company loses a patent on a name brand drug that they've developed, people can begin creating generics. There was absolutely no way they could stop this from happening. So they decided they needed to pull away from MS Cotton just a little bit and go towards something new. And that new something was oxycodone. Oxycodone was a derivative of morphine that was thought to be less addictive and less powerful than the main drug, though that turned out to be complete and utter bullshit later on. But oxycodone codeine was the main ingredient in their new name brand drug, Oxycontin. And it replaced MS cotton in both treatment of pain for cancer patients and because they marketed the idea that it was less powerful than morphine, which was the main uh, ingredient of MS Cotin, that it was, it became more wide, widespread, that people started taking it for aches and pains, anxiety, because again, it operated on the very feeling sensors in our head and allowed people to feel good, feel no pain. And again, they began downplaying the addiction rate. Although it was found later on in later studies that the stated rate of addiction 13%, which is what Purdue put out there. So they did allow it to go 1% for morphine or MS Cotin up to 13% for Oxycotin. But people kind of, they kind of downplayed that. It's a very rare occurrence. As long as you don't overdo it, you'll be fine. And on top of it, they found a way to bribe the entire supply chain. Richard and Arthur, who were co-CEOs at the time, made it their mission to make sure that their sales reps 
got these prescriptions written. And what they started doing is bribing people at the top levels of government, making huge campaign uh, contributions. What would you call it a contribution or a bribe? It's a bribe. They also found a way to bribe the supply chain as far as like distributors. They would make sure that Oxycontin is what they mostly had in stock for this type of thing, for this type of Schedule One drug. And they would also bribe pharmacists by giving them rebates to always give them Oxycontin instead of going to a generic form of MS cotton or some other type of painkiller. They gave coupons out to patients to set them up for their first supply, you know, just like a any street pusher would give you a little taste to get you addicted and then have you come back for more. They did that, but mostly they bribed the doctors to write the prescriptions. And this was through what they called educational retreats, which were supposed to be these seminars, but turned out to be golfing trips where a representative from Purdue would just stand, stand up there and downplay the addiction rate and upplay how good it would make their chronic pain customers feel. Pay, pay, customers, I say customers because they weren't really treated as patients at this point, would make their their most troubled patients, whether it be from anxiety, depression, pain, would make them feel good. And doctors bought it hook, lie, and sinker because even though money wasn't coming into their hands, except when they were hired by Purdue to be a speaker to kind of push the same propaganda that was pushed on them, they were also given things like dinners for their offices. I used to work in a medical office. I can tell you that drug representatives, pharmaceutical representatives came in every day with free lunches. They would give away swag that everybody in the office enjoyed. They would give away trips. I mean, in the 90s, it was free for all. There were all kinds of bribes flying around. And doctors took the bait because many of them actually believed it wasn't addictive and it made their patients feel better. So why wouldn't they prescribe it? So prescriptions for Oxycontin jumped from about 3,000 in its first year up to about 600 million. Imagine that kind of growth. 600 million active prescriptions for Oxycontin with almost unlimited, unlimited refills. So between the years of 2006 and 2015, it's where you kind of hit the pinnacle of this. Uh, Purdue actually came out with the pain chart that we see on Doctors Wiles today, which is very, very good thing where you rate your pain from zero to 10. And they kind of trained doctors that if a person said they were in, you know, level four through level 10, that Oxycontin would make them feel better. So you began seeing that happen. You see more and more people prescribe this drug even though they didn't need it. Uh, they topped $1 billion in sales in 2006 with $6 million in uh, 6 million active prescriptions, growing up to into the hundreds of millions of active prescriptions by 2015 when the bottom started to fall out a little bit. They, they started to target doctors in mainly blue-collar areas because of the propensity for workman's comp claims. And you know with Wortman's comp, they send you to the doctor, they try to get you well and back to work as quickly as possible. So pain management's very definitely a part of that. And so going into these white collar areas like Detroit with all the manufacturing to the Rust Belt areas, you know, in the Midwest, they saw their prescriptions shoot skyward. By 2013, pain management clinics, also called pill mills, by insiders outnumbered McDonald's in the United States. These were pain management clinics where literally hundreds of patients came in and out of every day, neither a doctor, a physician's assistant, 
or a nurse practitioner would see you sometimes for less than two minutes and write you a prescription for Oxycontin or the other narcotic of your choice to manage your pain. And people were coming in there just to get a legal high. I mean, these people's pain had, it wasn't even the deciding factor anymore. It was just that they needed the drug now to feel good because remember, the more things interact on your, your sensory receptors, the more addicted you'd get. And these people were very much addicted to this drug. Uh, people that stopped taking it felt every bit as much pain and agony as someone withdrawing off of heroin because you get it with your sensory receptor suddenly not being affected anymore. All these sensations that your body have, has been keeping at bay thanks to the drug come sweeping in. So you had pain, you had itching, you had heart palpitations, sweating. Think about, just think about all the bad feelings you could possibly have sweeping in. This is what people went through when they didn't have their Oxycontin. So these pill mills were very profitable and a lot of doctors started getting busted between 2013 and 2015 for operating legal clinic pill pushing. In the early 2000s, there began to kind of show some cracking in the foundation for Purdue. Oxycontin was no longer as effective as it once was. It was touted at every, it, at the lowest milligrams, which I believe was 20, to last 12 hours. The effects should last 12 hours, but it wasn't lasting anymore because the more a person uses it, the less, the less effective it is because your sensory receptors adapt to it. So instead of telling people just to take the same amount of milligrams, the same dosage more often, they were instructed, which is the proper protocol when something's not working anymore, you just take it more often. They were instructing doctors now just to up them to 20, 40, 80 milligrams, and that would last. So you had people getting even more addicted because they were upping their dosage. And this led to even more money for for Purdue. I mean, they've made well over $35 billion in climbing on this on this crisis altogether, but you started seeing an estimated 50,000 drug-related deaths a day, most of them associated to legal pills, and more people, up to 20,000, getting addicted per day worldwide. This was staggering. Most of this in the USA and Canada, but it was staggering. So with all of this coming down, all these pill mills being busted, states and the federal government start to, started to get involved. You had uh, many people, patients, that had, had to go through, through drug withdrawal or had people that they loved die, uh, formed class action lawsuits against Purdue. They were always settled out of court with no mention of the Sackler family. Even in the settlements, it was mentioned the Sacklers were never to be mentioned or sued after the settlement. Okay, in 2007, the big case hit with the federal government suing them for false prescription practices for over $600 million saying that they misled prescribers or physicians by downplaying the addictive nature of the drug. And they also settled this for $600 million. The Sacklers never testified and were never mentioned and there was an agreement that they would not be prosecuted anymore for this particular suit. So we got some Jeffrey Epstein action going on here with the special conditions. So these people were very well connected. Facing, but they did not, it did not abstain them from lawsuits from individuals or states. And now from 2017 to present, you've had well over 1,600 cases filed against Purdue from states, from individuals, from class action. 
that has led to their recent bankruptcy, which will go down as one of the largest corporate bankruptcies in the history of the United States, to basically get rid of these lawsuits because you can't sue a bankrupt company. And on top of that, they've actually come out and said, get this, because their patent for oxycontin was about to expire, they came out and admitted it was highly addictive and no one should make a generic because it's just too dangerous. And they got it, y'all. They got away with that. So they still retain the patent for oxycontin. So they're they were saying they were doing it for the good that no one should do a generic for this drug. We need to deal with this drug from the brand name only. It was more of a ploy just to keep their patent. So they still have the patent on Oxycontin to this day because they said it was addictive and no one should make a generic. So they're protecting their profits, but yet people still use it. Although it has been relegated back now to more chronic pain and cancer related like it should, but there are still people that get addicted to this stuff that are still misusing it or misprescribing it. And also their latest drug under development is one to help with drug addiction and drug withdrawals. So they're going to profit again off of the crisis they helped create. And that's where we stand. They're bankrupt, but they're still flying high. I'm speechless after diving into this. Absolutely speechless. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this. Let me know down below what you think, what you think should happen, what you hope would happen. Nothing more to say. Crappy. Just crappy. Ketosis, y'all. Keto comic. Out.